Welcome to Rome Christian Center. We are so glad that you are with us here today. If you are local to the Rome, New York area, we would like to invite you to join us 10 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on Sundays. We are located at 7985 Turin Road in Rome, New York. Let's join the service as we believe God has something in store for you today. When you see these things happening, Jesus said, look up, for your redemption draws nigh. I've just been listening to some videos by Derek Prince on Israel. It's about seven hours worth. He's got half a dozen videos of an hour and 20 minutes each or something. And it's... uh, all about how God's purpose and plan for Israel. And uh, it's blown me out of the water. But uh, good things are happening. Good things are going to happen. Keep your eye on Israel. It's, uh, they're the key to history. You know, there's so many, I tell you, there's so many people on this earth that have, don't have a clue as to what's going on in the realm of the spirit. You know, their whole focus is just the natural realm. That's all they believe in is the natural realm. And uh, what's going to happen so many billion years from now? And, you know, they, they think they got it all figured out. Boy, I'll tell you what. God, you know what the Bible says? God just stands back and laughs. You know, it's like... Anyway, praise the Lord. Why did I get into all that? I don't know, but I've just been being really blessed by, uh, what's good, by watching Israel. What's going to happen to Israel? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Father, we just bless you. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us. We thank you, Lord, that you're in us, that you're with us, that you're for us and not against us. We surrender our lives to you each day afresh and anew. Have your way in us, Lord. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. I want to start this morning in James chapter 4. A treatise, a, a, a paragraph, a, 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 an exhortation, if I can use that word, by James to the church. And so I want to pick up the whole context of that to start with. So hang in there with me. It's a little bit long, but I think it'll make sense to us when we're done. Let's start in verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? It must be that James either heard something that was going on in the church or saw something that was going on in the church because the you there is Christians. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures which that wage war in your members? So there's conflicts. He's observing that there, there's strife. There's conflicts in the church. And what's stirring that up is, is, their, is their own personal desires for things that they want. You lust. 
and you do not have, you so you commit murder. I don't, you know, I'll be, I don't believe they're committing literal murder, but there's something in their heart that's angry. You know, remember what Jesus said in, on the, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you're guilty of adultery. If you hate somebody in your heart, you're guilty of murder. You know, I wonder how many Christians are going to miss heaven because in their heart, they, they say, well, I never committed a murder. I never committed adultery. No, but it, your heart's wrong. Your heart attitude is wrong. And you're going to be judged as a murderer or an adulterer when you never really did it, for, you might say, in the natural. That always keeps me on my toes. Anyway, so you commit murder. In other words, you, you, you hate one another. You're jealous of one another. You envy one another. Look at him. Look at him, always, got to work, always wearing those nice clothes, always driving that nice car. Oh, he thinks he's so special. You know, you just, you're angry. You're angry because someone's got more than you and nicer things than you. You're jealous. The church is the church. Been that way for 2,000 years. Look at him. Look at him. He, he's got the air-conditioned chariot. I don't mean to make light of it. You're envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, to spend it on your pleasures. So this, this is how he starts this uh, passage of Scripture. You adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The Apostle John said something very similar in 1 John. He says, whoever loves the, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. You can't love the world and love the Father. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Whoever makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. So this, this is all in the context of these people that are angry and envious and jealous and have strife and conflict in the church. He's, he's, he's bringing a, really a correction and telling them how to get right with God. That their hearts are wrong. They're carnal. They're soulish. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Why? Because he's the one that's behind the strife and the jealousy and the anger and the, and the wrong attitudes. He's, he's the one that's behind it all. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. So that's, that's just, that the whole context of that is we have to change our heart. We have to change these attitudes we have. Draw near to God. He'll draw near. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn. In other words, for, the, for your attitudes, for your carnality, for your soulishness, you know, be penitent. Be 
Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. It's really a, a pretty strong rebuke. But you know what? The best thing that God can do for us if we're missing it is to show us where we're wrong and to say, shape up. Because whom the Lord loves, he chastens. We don't like it. I don't like to be chastened. I don't, I don't like to be wrong. You know, I really, I'm a, I'll tell you, one of my shortcomings is I think I'm right. Not most of the time. I think I'm right all the time. I know I'm not, but I, I just don't like being wrong. Who does, Right? Confession is good for the soul. See, if you confess your sins one to another, you'll be healed. So I'm just letting it all hang out because healing is mine in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. But you know, when we talk about the characteristics of God, we say he's love, which he certainly is. That he's pure, he's holy, He's gracious, he's kind, he's long-suffering, he's all-powerful, he's everywhere. I mean, you know, all the characters. But there's one that we very seldom talk about. And it's found in verse 5, and it says, He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Did you know that God is a jealous God? In Exodus chapter 34, you don't have to go there, it says, talking about worshiping false gods. He says, you shall not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Exodus, where's the Ten Commandments? Again, talking about false gods. It says, for I, the Lord, not worshiping false gods, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. He says it over and over again. God, the Bible says that God is a jealous God. He's jealous for you. He's jealous for me. Why? Because we belong to him. He doesn't want us having worldly, carnal... He doesn't want us being friends with the world. But you know, but somebody might say, well, well, pastor, wait a minute, wait a minute. Doesn't it say in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is not jealous? Well, yeah, it does. But there's a, if I can use the word good, there's a good jealousy and there's a, a wrong jealousy just like there's a, a wrong anger and a righteous anger. You know, you know in Mark chapter 5, when Jesus, it, when Jesus went to his own hometown, remember when they wouldn't believe him and he couldn't do mighty miracles there? You know what it says? That, that ang you know what it says in Mark 5? That Jesus, ang he was angry. But he never sinned. So there, there can be a good, you might say, a right jealousy. God is not jealous in the sense that he's uh, envious or covetous. He, this isn't a jealousy that stems out of, oh, gracious. This is not a jealousy that stems out of insecurity. It's not suspicious and manipulative. It's a righteous jealousy. Listen, the Apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians. 
He said, for I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. 2 Corinthians 11.2. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. It's an emotion that, it's, it's, it's what, it wants to protect what's rightfully yours. It's like, hey, that's mine. Get your hands off it. We can understand this in a relationship between a man and a woman. When someone starts hitting on your wife or your girlfriend and she kind of responds, it's like, wait a minute. No, 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 hands off. That's mine. Not a wrong jealousy. It's, it's just, a, you, you know, it's because of how you feel toward that person. It's like, no, get your hands off. That belongs to me. So this, but God is jealous for us. He, he has he has birthed us, you might say, by his spirit. He has caused us to be born again. We are children of God, and he is jealous for us with a godly jealousy. He wants you. He wants me. He considers us his own. And it grieves him when we flirt with the world. Or worse yet, when we're in bed with the world. God has emotions. He's not cold-hearted. He loves us. And he wants us all to himself. He, doesn't, he wants, he wants a, a deep and an intimate relationship with us. I, I go back to this, I guess, over and over again. Just one of these messages I feel like God has in me that kind of keeps bringing it out. But God does not want a shallow, sporadic, hit and miss. He wants a deep, intimate relationship with us. And he likens it. He likens our relationship with him to, to a marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul talks about the husband-wife relationship, and he says it's the same relationship as Christ in the church. And you know what? A marriage to me is the deepest, most intimate, most personal relationship that any two people can have is in marriage. In Revelation chapter 19, it talks about the, it talks about the marriage of the supper of the Lamb. We, we're going to be married to Jesus forever and ever. We are his bride. And he wants us all to himself. And he has a right to have us all to himself. The beginning of that relationship starts right here on earth. But the depth of that relationship depends on us. You've heard me say it. I guess I'll say it, until, keep saying it until I go home. But every one of us in this room, and myself included, we are as close to God today as we have chosen to be. And that bugs me because I look back on my life and one of the, one of the things that grieves me the most is that I could be, I believe, I could be further along with God than I am but things that got in the way. Things that I got into that I didn't really need, you know, just time wasted. Something you can never get back. You know how many times we'd say, boy, I'd love to go back 30 years knowing what I know, you know? Not just go back 30 years, but knowing what I know. Go back and kind of give us, let me start over. Well, I'd do it a lot different. Well, I'd do some things different. That's for sure. But all we can do 
is go on from here. This is where we're at. Last Sunday in 2019, we go on from here into a new year. The depth of the relationship depends on us. But there's preconditions. What does it say? In verse 8, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy into gloom. Cleanse yourself. Purify yourself. God can only have a relationship with sanctified vessels. And I tell you, that's another thing we don't preach enough about is the holiness of God. The holiness that God requires of all of us to walk upright before him. But the results of that is a relationship with God that we could never otherwise have. Paul wrote to Timothy and says about some things that that need to, to be removed from the life of the believer. And he says, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful for the master, fit for every good work. It's the same thought that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians when he said, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what, has, what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as he said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me. I'll welcome you, and I'll be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me. But first, first, you must come out from among them, and first, you must not touch the unclean thing. There's things that we have to do in our own personal life just to, uh, oh, what's the word? It stimulates, not the word I'm looking for, to make possible this relationship that God wants with us. There's, I'm, I look at myself and I'm saying, God, in what way do I need to change in order for me to draw closer to you? The, the drawing close is not a problem on his part. It's a problem on my part if there is one. So how do I need to change so that I can experience more of you, be, be more aware of you in my life, have this deeper, intimate relationship with you? How do I need to change, God? Because you don't need to change. I look at my own life and I judge. I allow the Spirit of God to judge. Draw near to God. First, and he'll draw near to you. Now understand that the initiative to draw always begins with God. Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father draws him. You know, I was thinking, back in Genesis chapter 3, where it says God came down and walked with them, talked with them in the garden. He came to them. God came to a man named Abram in Ur of the Chaldees and said, you know, start walking, I'll show you where you, I'll show you where to go. God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. 
But Moses, see, God initiates the relationship, but then we have to respond. Like Moses in the burning bush, it says, Moses finally said, I'm going to have to turn and see what's going, this wonderful thing. Abram had to start walking. So God, God initiates the, the relationship, and, and I don't know how to say this, except he starts, but then he kind of steps back to see if we'll respond. I like Benny Hinn said this. I heard Benny say this many years ago. He said, God plays hide and seek. He hides a little bit sometimes to see if we'll seek him. How hungry we are for him. How desperate we are to know him, to experience more of him. God yearns for this relationship with us. A deep, abiding, permanent, ongoing relationship. But we have to put him first place above everything else. When we started the church a second time, 1992 we started, we were out of ministry. If we had, had a church, we lost everything. We were out of ministry for two or three years, something like that. We went back. I just felt like God, God felt like, God wouldn't let me go. I said to Susie, I said, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta go back. I gotta go back into ministry. We have to. I'm dying. I'm not dying physically, but I can feel I'm dying spiritually. And I'm just dying. I've got, we've gotta do what God's called us to do. So we started again in the fire barn. And the church exploded. We we had three times as many people in the first couple months. We went from five to fifteen. Well, that's three times, right? Actually, I think we went from four to 12 or something, whatever. But you know, for, for months, for a few years, it's like we, we had like 10 or 12 people. Nothing seemed to be happening. And it was so frustrating for me. We, we were doing what we knew to do. And I thought when we started back up again, I thought, most of the people that we had before would come back. None, none of them did. A handful, one, two or three. And when we were in the Capitol Theater, we had 130 people on Sunday morning, something like that. And here we were in the fire barn with 10 people or 12 people. And I got so frustrated. I called a pastor friend pastor that I knew in Batavia and I said can I come see you he said sure so I went out there and I was just pouring my heart out you know just oh you know woe is me that kind of thing you know we're doing everything we're praying we're doing everything we know to do the church isn't growing you know what he said to me he said you know you know what you need to do Ned I said, what? And I thought he was going to give me some great, you know, thing to make the change. He said, you need to get so close to God that nothing else matters. But first he said this. I almost forgot. First, the first he said this. He said, Ned, I want to ask you something. How many people is it going to take to make you happy? And I saw right away that my whole focus was on the wrong thing. And then he said, you need to get so close to God that nothing else matters. 
And that has stuck with me for years and years and years. It's the principle that Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And everything else will be added unto you. If we're going to know God in the way he wants us to know him, we have to put him first place. Doesn't mean you can't enjoy the things of the world, but in our hearts, God has to have preeminence. Lay aside the weight, it says in Hebrews. Lay aside the weight in the sin which so easily besets us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The weight that it talks about there is, is not a, it's not something sinful. Because it says, lay aside the weight and the sin. So the weight is not something sinful. It's just something that's hindering us, that's slowing us down. That's distracting us. You know, it's like when, when, Mary and, when Jesus went to Mary and Martha's house, and Mary, the Martha, it says, was distracted with all her preparations. There was nothing wrong with fixing dinner. There's not a sin to fix dinner. But there's a right time and a wrong time. And she's getting distracted where she could have been sitting at Jesus' feet and saying, you know what, I'm going to sit here for a while, and, well, you're just going to have to wait for dinner for a little while. We have to be careful that things don't get in the way. The, some of the, the same things that were talked about when Jesus talked the, the, about the parable of the sower. The things that choke the word, cause it to become unfruitful. Nothing particularly sinful, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust for other things. Weights that keep us from fulfilling our destiny with God. We're coming up on a new year. It's a time when people often examine their lives and, and the priorities that they have. And they make resolutions, you know. I'm going to uh, eat healthier. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to watch less TV. And those are all fine. But I'm asking myself, spiritually, what needs to change? I pray this will be a year for all of us of drawing closer to God. A year of hunger for a deeper relationship with him and a year of putting aside maybe some things that have hindered us in our walk. That's what I feel stirring in me. A year of responding to the drawing of the spirit. A year of greater commitment. A year of submission to him and a greater dependence upon him. A year where we will respond the Spirit of God like never before. But I'll throw in, as I close, a word of caution. Whenever you decide to go higher with God or get more committed to God, I'm going to read through my Bible this year. I'm going to be more diligent about coming to church. I'm going to, be, I'm going to pray, Bill. I'm going to, whatever. You know, it's like you, you paint a target on your back. There, there will be some opposition. I don't say that to be negative, but I just know better. You know, Joyce Meyer used to say, new level, new devil. Thank you so much for being with us today. 
Our prayer is that your life be enriched through the power of God's word and that you be filled with his love and strength as you daily serve him. To learn more about our service times and our ministry and how it is that you can partner with us, visit us online today at romechristiancenter.com.